Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I'm your host, Darrell McLean, and let's get into our episode. Is fully listener supported independent media that won't lead you to tribalism. You can get a membership for as little as three dollars a month at www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean show. We talk about a lot of serious topics on this show. One very serious topic is women's health. One company that stood out to me was vslay.com because the owner is very transparent about her own struggles in the women's health department and has great customer service, great deals, and frequent sales. You can check her out, her great customer service, products about women's health, and frequent sales at www.vslay.com. That is www.vslay.com. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I am your host, Darrell McLean. Today is 10-5-2023, and let's get into our episode. On the last time that we spoke, it was on the backdrop of a historic vote that may have been taken, and that was to oust a Speaker of the House. Since then, it has actually happened. So what happened was, and this was shocking to several people, but for the first time in a while, the House has made history to remove the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. He is no longer Speaker of the House. As a small group of House Republicans led by Rep. Max Gate joins with Democrats to oust him. This marks the first time in the House has ever voted to remove a sitting Speaker. A historic development that will catapult the chamber into another chaotic Speaker's race following the marathon that happened a few months ago when there was a record number of over 15 votes needed to actually get a speaker. So we're covering America's political turmoil as well as the race for House Speaker, student debt, the former president's second day on trial, as well as some other questionable things like questions should the president Biden in the wake of the death of Dianne Feinstein 
retire, step down. Questions like that on today's episode. So, imagine you were a foreign leader surveying the political chaos of the United States. For the first time in history, a party has just fired its own Speaker of the House in the middle of a term. In the Senate, one of two party leaders who is 81 years old has twice recently frozen in public, unable to speak. A Supreme Court justice has allowed a wealthy political donor to finance a lavish lifestyle for him and his wife. And the same justice's wife urged officials to overturn the 2020 presidential election results based on lies. A likely nominee in the upcoming presidential election is facing four criminal trials and regularly speaks in apocalyptic terms about the country's future. That nominee is essentially tied in the polls with a 80-year-old president who many voters worry is too old to serve a second term. If you were an ally of the U.S., you would have to be worried. If you were an enemy, you would have to be pleased. Too many watching at home and abroad and the American way no longer seems to have offer a case study in effective representative democracy. Now, this comes from Peter Baker of the New York Times. He says, instead, it has become an example of disarray and discord, one that rewards extremists and challenges norms and threatens to divide a polarized country even further. Fraction and extreme would be the title. Many factors have contributed to this turmoil. Decades of stagnant living standards have caused voters frustration. Social media, along with the rise of cable televised networks willing to promote falsehoods, have flamed discourse. The decline in institutions, churches, labor unions, once dominant local employers, have left Americans feeling unmoored. And aging political leaders have failed to groom strong successors. But the single largest source of chaos is currently the Republican Party. And I don't say that lightly. So people who listen to this show know that I think that there is plenty of evidence that the Democratic Party also has problems. It has struggled in the recent years to come up with effective policies on COVID school closures, illegal immigration, and several other issues. Many working class voters consider the party to be disdainful of them, which helps explain why its longtime troubles with white voters have recently spread to voters of color. Still, Every major political party has weaknesses. Despite theirs, the Democrats remain a functional party by almost any standard. Their moderate and progressive fractions frequently, often, have to work together. President Biden, like Barack Obama before him, has passed a long list of substantive legislation. Congressional Democrats have remained impressively united for two decades. The Republican Party, by contrast, is both fractured and increasingly extreme. Tens of millions of Republican voters have embraced beliefs that are simply not true. That Obama was born in Kenya. That Donald Trump was cheated out of the re-election. That COVID vaccines either flat out don't work or that they are here to, they, they, they were here to kill us as a part of a global uh, network of people who wanted to depopulate the planet. That Humans aren't causing or have no effect on climate change. A crowd of Republicans allied protesters violently attacked Capitol Hill in 2021, assaulting police officers, causing several deaths. Prominent Republican politicians, including Trump, have spoken positively about the attack and more generally about political violence. The downfall of Kevin McCarthy as speaker is the latest sign 
of the Republican Party's drift toward radicalism. He lost his job because House members were furious with him for conducting policy negotiations that are inherent to democratic governance. The ouster captures the deranged state of the party in the era of rage. Now, that was written, the era of rage, in a Wall Street Journal editorial board of the reliable voice of conservatism. The greatest challenge is when a colleague at the uh, New York Times asked uh, he, uh, a so-called democracy expert was asked this week how to make sense of the country's political turmoil. They emphasized that the central explanation was the Republican Party. The democratic system needs two viable parties, says Sarah Bender, a political scientist at George Washington University. You need to set of leaders on both sides that have confidence that their followers have some understanding of the rules of the road. In my lifetime, this is the greatest challenge I've seen coming at the U.S., says Joseph Ellitz, a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian. Daniel Zibulet, a co-author of a recent book, Tyranny of the Minority, also said that the structure of the American political system was partly to blame. The Electoral College, the Senate gerrymandering have allowed Republicans to yield power without appealing to most Americans. Our Constitution in this way is one of the several factors radicalizing the Republican Party. They get to turn away from democracy, uh, Zebel said. I think the country's political class is aging and underperforming in many ways. I'm a longtime critic of uh, gerontocracy, but that's a second order problem, said Brandon Neon of Dartmouth College. The first order problems by far are the state of the GOP and the electoral rules and institutions that make the threat to pose so significant. Even with all the problems, there are reasons for optimism. The Republican caucus in the Senate is more functional than the House. Federal judges and election officials from both parties blocked Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Candidates who endorsed his lies fared poorly in, or fared poorly more in 2022 midterms. It's possible that more functional Republican Party committed to both conservatism and American democracy will emerge in the coming years. But it is not assured. Events of recent weeks have reminded us all that the authoritarian threat isn't going away. When it comes to Congress, you have both representatives, Jim Jordan and Steve Calise, who are now running against each other for House Speaker. Nancy Pelosi was kicked out of her uh, bonus office in the Capitol. The decision was supposedly made by McCarthy, who is expected to move in the office next week. Biden expressed concern that the aid to Ukraine could be disrupted by chaos over the House Speakership. And Steve podcast, who Steve Bannon's podcast has stoked the right-wing anger that unseated McCarthy as well. So we're going to get into a bit of that stuff. Let's start off a bit light here. Arnold Schwarzenegger appeared on the Jimmy Kimmel program uh, to talk about various topics. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former Republican governor of California, and he had some very interesting things to say. He listed his weight at 215 pounds. You are one of the foremost experts on the male physique, bodybuilding, etc., when you size him up, what would you guess that that man weighs? You know, I don't really know how much he, he weighs. I can tell you one thing, that if you would ask me what should you do for fitness, I would just say run around yourself three times. Possible that he weighs 250. 
15 pounds? Yeah, as much as is possible that there is uh, no climate change. <laughs> as much as is possible that we don't need to really reduce pollution. In order to we all know that the way he is. And uh, if it makes him feel good to, you know, tell everyone he weighs 215, I think everyone laughs about it because he does not look like he weighs 215. I mean, he looks uh, a little bit more like maybe 315 or something. 315, yeah. Climate change. And when I hear you talk about things, I, I always have to remind myself that you're technically a Republican because it doesn't seem like uh, you're a Republican on especially a lot of important things, like climate change is one of them. And what do you think when you look at the party and what's going on right now in Congress? Do you think, do you think of yourself as a Republican still? I'm a proud Republican. And I tell you why, because I'm a traditional Republican. Remember that the one that put most of the land aside for future generations was Teddy Roosevelt. He was a Republican. Uh, the, the, the Ronald Reagan created the Air Resources Board in California, most important board in order to really be able to execute all of the things, all the laws that we pass. Uh, President Nixon uh, created the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in Washington. Um, he wanted to, President Nixon wanted to do universal health care. Now, I um, wanted to play that small clip once because it was somewhat funny. But also, I think it points out the glaring fact that whatever thing that the former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, said in that clip is almost universally repugnant to republicanism as it is seen today. And that is the fundamental wrestling that the Republican Party is going to have to do is how far it has traveled from Reagan, Roosevelt, Nixon, Eisenhower. And um, I think that's going to be the real question. Would the Republican Party of today even create an organization like the Environmental Protection Agency that the Republican Party of yesterday created? Would the Republican Party of today allow the Commission on Air Pollution or whatever in in um, California if a Reagan-Nags type Republican proposed it? Would the Republican Party of today allow Teddy Roosevelt to do that Thing where he gets all that land and takes it for future generations. Would the Republican Party of today allow the policies that the Republican Party of yesterday agreed and approved to? And if the answer is no, you have to start to fundamentally wrestle with the question of who was correct, the Republican Party of yesterday or the Republican Party of today. And if the Republican Party of yesterday is wrong and the Republican Party of the day is correct, we have to then redefine terms like libertarian and conservatism. It seems um, blatantly, uh, patently clear that one of the only things that lasted from the Republican Party of yesterday to the Republican Party of today is the tax cuts portion of the party. And 
um, I'm not necessarily convinced if the cuts that uh, they go for actually does anything to stop the behemoth of the national debt and deficit. If it does anything to actually stop the admin state or if it um, simply gives uh, tax benefits to the people who fund politics and politicians, the donor class. But that is something that I, a clip that I played because I thought it aligned well with the question that the professors are asking about what is going on with the radicalization of the country, of the party, etc., etc. Now, when it comes to this president, current one, and uh, what um, what what happened? What's going on with him? He's not off the hook completely, because we did have people asking of him the same type of question that you they ask of Mitch McConnell. I think I teased to that. I teased that. And um, that is, is he too old to run? And one the person who is normally very favorable to Democrats um, asked the question. So this was Bill Maher, and he asked, basically, is he too old? Stay with us. We'll be right back. It goes without saying that this show does not happen without listener support. Support the Darrell McLean show by going to www.patreon.com and getting a membership for $3. Or you can go to buzzsprouts.com slash the Darrell McLean show and hit the subscribe button and join there. Many ways to donate to the show. Independent media that won't reinforce tribalism. We have one planet. Nobody is leaving. So let us reason together. www.patreon.com slash the Darrell McLean Show or go to Buzzsprouts and to the Darrell McLean Show and subscribe. Someone has to convince President Biden that if he runs again, he's going to turn the country back over to Trump and go <laughs> and go down in history as Ruth Bader Biden, the person who doesn't know when to quit and so does great damage to their party and their country. All of us who like Joe Biden have been struggling lately with the political situation in the Democratic Party. An incumbent we admire who acquitted himself well in a first term, but who even members of his own party don't want to see run for a second, despite a touching letter of recommendation from Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. I kid, they shouldn't have gotten shit for that. If you ask me, do I think Joe Biden can do the job of president? My answer is an unequivocal yes, he can do the job. Do I love everything? No, but that's every president. But government work is done in small, quiet rooms like the Oval Office. And in that setting, 
Joe's compassion and centuries of experience are pluses. And he's generally made good decisions that got us out of Afghanistan, handled Ukraine, kept the economy chugging, finally got us rebuilding infrastructure, returned a sense of normalcy. There's a term for Joe Biden, but not two. Because while he can do the job, what he can't do is run for it. Our campaign season is long, and it gets icy in New Hampshire. (laughs) To those who say he beat Trump once, he'll do it again, I say things change. They always do. The parade moves on. 2024 is not 2020 in so many key ways, including, yes, Biden being four years older. You can be a national treasure and still be too old for the job. If I'm on a plane and the pilot says, this is your captain, Buzz Aldrin, I'm getting off. Mitch McConnell has served Satan well. But when he starts buffering during a speech, (laughs) and and it appears his soul is leaving his body, (laughs) it's time. I have made it a theme on this show to rail against ageism, the last acceptable prejudice in America. I've tried to make the argument that judging by age is wrong because we all age so differently. Some people are old when they're 45 and others are spry at 90. So it should always be a case-by-case basis. But the credibility of my argument against ageism rests on the honest calling out of people when it is time to go. That's what case-by-case means. At an event last weekend, Biden referred to LL Cool J as LLJ Cool J. (laughs) Say what you want about Trump, but he remembers Kanye's name. (laughs) Look, at some point, perception becomes reality. What matters is voters think Biden's too old. What matters is he's going to lose to Trump, who's almost the same age, but his age just doesn't read like Biden's. Maybe it's because Trump is insane. Maybe it's because he's always a ball of white-hot anger, but for whatever reason, he looks robust, and Joe looks like his own skeletal remains. (laughs) If, if, If this was 1860, when Joe first ran... This would not be an issue. You didn't have to look good, and there was no ubiquitous media to pick on every little mistake. The only people who saw the Lincoln-Douglas debates were the people who went to them. But Joe's debates next year will be televised to all, and I don't think he's going to look good. Yes, Trump is old, too, but Trump is like Kiss. He puts on the face paint in the wig. And he looks the same as he did in 1978. Far from being the only one who could beat Trump in 2024, Biden may well be the only Democrat who would lose to him. James Carville, 
told me any centrist Democrat around 50 or 60 would get 55% of the vote, and I believe him. You know that future headlines bit we do? Well, the most predictable headline ever is presidential race tied. Two weeks before every election, it's always tied, no matter who is running. The vast majority just vote for the D or the R. But Biden is the one Democrat who gives pause to so many people, even in his own party. Andrew Sullivan makes the necessary point that a new nominee for the Democrats would shift the dynamic immediately. Trump would be the tired old guy retread hanging on to the past, and the Democrat would now be the future. Let the Republicans be the party with the candidate who babbles nonsense, shouts at the TV, and can't do ramps. You did noble service for your country, and you checked that big box, the President of the United States. Of course, as a politician, you're naturally going to say, but the work is not finished. Of course not. It never is. But it's time to let someone else finish it. You don't want to go down as Ruth Bader Biden. America is calling, Joe, and it's saying, that's not our car, Grandpa. We're over here. And I played that clip as well obviously it can like as somewhat funny in 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 um in the delivery but it does ask that fundamental question that i've been asking for the past few weeks and i think that the comparison to the late uh supreme court justice ruth bader ginsburg does it all the justice because it makes you have to ask the question that we have to wrestle with hey if ruth bader ginsburg would have stepped down when Barack Obama was president, when he had a supermajority, when he was the president and he had the Congress and he had the Senate, what would the country look like now? You would have had Barack Obama being able to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat, and then you would have had his other nominees. Instead of what ended up happening was after Barack Obama second term was completed because he got two terms and Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away when Donald Trump was president and Donald Trump got to appoint any Coney Barrett to the seat. If, if, if that one justice would have not been appointed, you would have uh, been able to have the, 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 um, the court makeup be entirely different, entirely different, and then there there's no way to get around that. That sometimes you have to be able to step down with grace, and it is because it is a strategy. And when you see the the video, this is now two times now of Mitch McConnell having those frozen moments and you say okay uh, this is somebody who's normally sharp in public who out outmaneuvers democrats in the senate all the time um he he's a senator from kentucky if he were to retire more than likely somebody else that's a republican would win that seat why 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 is he still there when you see diane feinstein they were literally trying to debate and pretend like 
she was still capable of doing her job on the Judiciary Committee, and she gets ushered back into the halls of power and dies a few weeks later, you have to start to question these sorts of things. What is the plan? Is the plan just for these people who are in power to die in office and constantly be throwing committees or their parties into chaos? What is so wrong with them having term limits? What is wrong with them stepping down? When the country dealt with the fact that FDR was such a popular figure and president that he ran multiple times and was able to win multiple times and they had to deal with a president dying in office. The Congress and the Senate stepped in and said uh, that cannot happen and they put term limits on the president of the United States. Now when they did that, they, they for some reason, they didn't have the wisdom to then turn around and be like, if he is too old that he can't function sometimes and he may die in office, why would they not then put the term limits on themselves? If eight years is good enough for a president, why isn't eight years good enough for a congressman? If eight years is good enough for a president, why isn't eight years good enough for a senator? If eight years is good enough for a president, why isn't eight years good enough for a federal judiciary? Uh, and if if there is a term limit and we're going to have that then maybe we need to also get to the point where we start to discussing age limit there is a minimum requirement age to be president of the united states and it's 35 years old i think that there needs to be a conversation about maybe maybe there needs to be a maximum age to hold these public positions. So the Biden administration has canceled an additional $9 million in student debt. The move comes just three days after student loans payment resumed following a three-year pause. So where President Biden canceled the additional $9 billion in student debt on Wednesday as repayments started up again this month after the three-year pause, the move affects exactly 125,000 people who qualify under in existing programs, including for public service workers, uh, service workers such as teachers and firefighters and people who are on permanent disability, according to a White House statement. This kind of relief is life changing for individuals and their families, Biden said on Wednesday. The announcement uh, comes as Biden tries to find uh, workarounds to offer some debt relief after the Supreme Court struck down his more ambitious plan over the summer. That plan would have wiped out more than $400 billion in student debt for about 43 million borrowers. Under the original plan, borrowers who made under 125000 as an individual or 250000 as couples would have qualified for up to 20000 in relief if they had received a Pell Grant and $10,000 if they had not. The Supreme Court found that Mr. Biden's loan plan exceeded his authority, a decision that shot down one of the president's signature policy efforts and key promises to voters in the 2024 campaign heats up. Now, Biden hammered the courts on Wednesday for its decision. The money was literally about to go out the door 
but Republicans elected officials and special interest groups stepped up and sued us, he said. The Supreme Court sided with them snatching from the hands of millions of Americans thousands of dollars of student debt relief that was about to change their lives. Interest on outstanding student loans began to occur in September. Many economists have expressed concerns that the reassumption uh, re, uh, of student loans payment this month could cause substantial drag on the economy at a critical point in the country's economic recovery, in which fears of a lurking recession remain. With the additional $9 billion, the administration said it managed to extend $127 billion in relief to nearly 3.6 million Americans. The money comes through fixes to the educational department made to several debt relief programs, including the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. More than $5 million will go toward relief for 53,000 employees working in the federal, state, and local government and other organizations that qualify for the program. Biden said that that's because the red tape. Only 7,000 people in public service loan forgiveness program have received the relief they were eligible for for nearly over 15 years. Another $2.8 billion was directed toward about 51,000 people who have been paying down a undergraduate loan for 20 years or more but miss out on some amount of forgiveness eligibility. The Education Department said it had achieved this by fixing a historical inaccuracies in the court payments or in the count of payments that qualify toward forgiveness for those borrowers. The rest of the money goes toward those on disability. Since its setbacks in the Supreme Court, Biden has pledged to use executive actions to decrease the burden on borrowers. Last month, the administration distributed $37 million to help more than 1,200 students who took on debt of classes through the University of Phoenix, which the Federal Tax Trade Commission said misled students with dishonest ads and promises of high-paying jobs. In August, the administration began enrollment for a new income plan known as SAVE, which allowed 30 million borrowers with federal undergraduate loans to recalculate their monthly payments after taking into account their income and family size. You think it says something about some people who are not a conservative. I mean, if you were a conservative and you only had one entity making the battle and you vote against securing the border, you vote against cutting fund, this wasteful spending, and then you partner with all the Democrats. Now, you'll phrase it all the other different ways. That's not a conservative. Every, look, you all know Matt Gates. You know it was personal. It had nothing to do about spending. It had nothing to do about everything he accused somebody of he was doing. It all was about getting attention from you. I mean, we're getting email fundraisers from him as he's doing it. Join in quickly. That's not governing. That's not becoming of a member of Congress. So you just heard there the voice of now ousted. Uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans are actually now gearing up and they are aiming their fire at Rep. Batgates, the Republican before it after Congressman staged a successful effort to oust Republican Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, sharply criticizing the Florida Republican for teaming up with Democrats to vote the GOP leader and hurling personal insults his way, taking matters a step further. 
At least two GOP lawmakers have said Gates should be booted from the House Republican Conference. As unlikely as that outcome may be, nonetheless, that underscores the raw frustration and anger with Gates among members of his party. The amped up rhetoric comes as the House GOP conference is being forced back into square one of electing a new speaker as the government shutdown clock ticks down to the fast approaching November 17th funding deadline. The covering dynamic has uh, House Republicans starting to lash out with Gates, taking a large chunk of the heat. Matt Gates just got schooled by AOC and others. He was totally manipulated into doing this, said Rep. Garrett Graves, the Republican from uh, L.A. or Louisiana. And Wednesday, there was a eighth so-called Republicans that got together with 208 Democrats to oust the Republican speaker. I can't believe he's that stupid that he used to be that he was used to be manipulated by AOC and others to create this outcome. He added, Rep. Anthony D. Espinota. The Republican of New York said Gates moved to eject McCarthy from the speakership amounted to one of the greatest acts of heresy. He's literally taking out one of our oldest institutions and put it downward spiral all over selfish needs, all over Twitter feeds and raising money, Despito said during an interview with CNN. McCarthy, during remarks following Tuesday's vote, said Gates' effort was personal and all about getting attention from the press. In a historic vote Tuesday, the House voted to oust McCarthy from speakership, putting an end to his nearly nine-month tenure on the job that had defined his efforts to manage the party's right flank in the face of growing threats to his gavel. Eight Republicans led by Gates voted to all Democrats in the chambers, voted with all Democrats in the chamber to boost McCarthy, bringing the final tally to 216 to 10. It was the first time since 1910 that the House has voted a motion to vacate the chair. And it was the actual first time in American history that such a motion has succeeded. McCarthy then announced he would not run for speaker again, setting off a scramble in the GOP conference over who will succeed the California Republican in the top spot. In the meantime, Rep. Patrick McHenry of the RNC has named the speaker pro tempore who will preside over the House, but the chamber is unable to conduct legislative businesses until a new speaker is chosen. Immediately after the vote Tuesday, Rep. Don Bacon, Rep. from Nebraska, told reporters that Gates should be removed from the House GOP conference, adding he is not a Republican. Rep. Mike Lawyer, Republican from New York, who said Tuesday that he would have hit Gates square between the eyes with the speaker's gavel, echoed Beacon Sentiment Wednesday, saying he believes that Florida Republican should be kicked out of the conference. Punchbowl News reported Wednesday night that the lawyer said that he is conducting, offering a motion to expel Gates from the group. To be sure, booting Gates from the House GOP conference would be a heavy lift, requiring agreement from two-thirds of members asked about expelling Gates from the conference. Rep. Kelly Armstrong questioned if Florida colleagues broke any rules. We don't kick people out because we don't like them, Armstrong said. God, we'd be doing that every morning in the conference. Uh, Graves also brushed aside questions about potential, uh, potentially ousting Gates from the conference, saying it would have to be a decision for a group to make Gates, for his part, is disregarding the criticism being directed toward him. And he asked about Lawyer Square between the eyes comment. 
any future specs to be expelled by the conference gates return fire. I think that that was a very frustrated person who is having to come to grips with the stages of grief gets to Bloomberg's TV. I'm not so much for political violence. I don't want to hit anybody, he later added. If Mike Lurie comes at me with a gavel, I'm not entirely sure what would that would concern me, but that's not the direction I think we ought to go. I think we ought to maybe craft a budget before an attack strategy. Gates has also drawn substantial criticism from Republicans for fundraising off the efforts to Alex McCarthy. Graves presented a screenshot of fundraising blast that says Gates who, who, whom he called a clown, sent out during a debate on his motion to, be, uh, to vacate. He accused a Florida Republican of capitalizing on a manufactured crisis. If we're going to continue to have clowns like Matt Gates as a part of the Republican conference, as part of this Congress, then you're going to have the rules in place to forbid him from doing this charade every single week, every single month, where he goes out as he does this thing where he creates some manufactured crisis. Does his manufactured crisis doing the official government resources, official government actions, manufactures the crisis, and then goes and sends off fundraising emails of a crisis of that he has manufactured, Gray says. I think this should be illegal. I think people should be in jail for this crap. I mean, we're getting email fundraisers from him as he's doing it. Join in quickly, McCarthy said Tuesday, referring to Gates' motion to vacate related funding. That's not governing. That's not becoming of a member of Congress. And Gates is facing claims of hypocrisy. The Florida lawmaker for weeks has been heightening his threats to force a vote on confiscating McCarthy's gaffel, warning that then the Speaker that he would face a motion to vacate if he relied on Democrats to pass continuing resolutions, which the California Republican did last weekend to avert a shutdown. Gates insisted he wanted the chamber to pass all 12 appropriations bill. Despoto and Gates criticized McCarthy for working with Democrats, but yesterday he worked with Democrats, some of the most progressives and far-leaning left in the conference, in order to take Kevin McCarthy out. He is, by every stretch of the definition, a complete hypocrite. McCarthy's ouster came three days after he put the continuing resolution on the floor. The successful motion to vacate has the House at a standstill with legislative businesses, including appropriations process, unable to proceed until a new speaker is chosen as reality that is causing concerns with lawmakers as they raced the clock to fund the government ahead of next month's shutdown deadline. There's 12 appropriations bills. Those bills are all moving now, and now there is aren't moving. And, and that's for one reason. It's because Matt Gates had some of his cronies have single-handedly prevented or obstructed those from moving forward, Gates said on Wednesday. Our, our grave said on Wednesday, the Louisiana Republican re-upped a familiar metaphor he has used to describe the GOP rabble-riser. Once again, the arsonists who lit the house on fire, who wind about their house being on fire, who put out the fire wants credit for it, and go sets up a GoFundMe site to get paid for it. He said, complete hypocrisy. There is actually a a, a, a a big deal about this because even somebody who was known as a radical in his day came out and said something about this event. And that was the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and he was on Sean Hannity's program. And let's hear what Newt Gingrich had to say about this historic event. You 96% of the Republicans voted for McCarthy. 4% voted against him. From my position as a longtime Republican activist, they're traitors. 
All eight of them should, in fact, be primary. They should all be driven out of public life. Was to go to the other team to cause total chaos. We ought to be focusing on Biden. We ought to be focusing on the economy. We ought to be focusing on the border. Instead, you're going to get a week or 10 days of the media focusing on Republican disarray. It's an astonishingly destructive behavior by a handful of egocentric people who think they're superior to 96% of the conference. I regularly will check out uh, the show Morning Joe from my former congressman Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, uh, pejoratively called MSDNC, which I think is kind of funny. And he was having a conversation with uh, the former governor of New Jersey, who's also a current presidential candidate, Chris Christie, about the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. And let's just listen to um, what the former uh, Florida congressman and former New Jersey governor and current presidential candidate, Chris Christie, uh, both Republicans, had to say about the ouster of Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. The very conservative uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page, I'm going to read a couple lines out of it. I'm sure you'll agree with me. Um, a band of eight Republicans succeeded in ousting Kevin McCarthy. This is headline, Republicans cut off their own heads. A band of eight Republicans succeeded in ousting Kevin McCarthy's House Speaker uh, on Tuesday, and we trust that they're happy. They now have the chaos they wanted, uh, though it isn't clear what else they hope to achieve. Their clever plan seems to be to cut off their own heads. The ouster captures the degraded state of the Republican Party in this era of rage. Members in same seats can now fuel their own fundraising careers by claiming to fight against all and sundry without doing the hard work to accomplish what they hope, what they claim to be fighting. Meanwhile, the House is frozen, the GOP is weaker, and its ability to gain any policy victories has been determined. Um, has been undermined. Um, so, so talk about what you saw yesterday and how the Republican Party uh, with you as President of the United States would be different. Well, um, what I saw yesterday was unfortunately incredibly predictable. Um, when you know Kevin made the decisions he made upon entry to the speakership, um, he weakened himself by uh, capitulating on a number of issues, and this was predictable. Um, as with most things in politics, Joe, as you know, it wasn't policy; it was personal. Um, and, and, and Matt Gates, unlike Kevin McCarthy, and um, was intent upon uh, executing um, this type of uh, this type of assassination, and that's what he did. It was a political assassination yesterday of Kevin McCarthy. Um, but look, you know, part of this too is that you know if you've got a president who knows how to work with uh, a legislative body, has done it before, understands the personal nature of this, um, and is willing to spend the time and the energy on developing relationships with those people on both sides of the aisle you can develop relationships with, then we're going to have a better product at the end. But if you're unwilling to do that and you only play to your side of the aisle, um, then you're going to wind up having a, a situation like this where when you have a few folks uh, with a narrow majority who go off the reservation, um, you, you've got nobody else to call on to try to make sure that you keep the institution itself on the rails. So, Governor Christie, what do you do next? The next speaker, whoever that is, 
or won't have one for a week's time, despite the clock ticking to another government shutdown, is still going to have to deal with this same group of hardcore Republicans, ones that aides close to McCarthy deemed legislative terrorists. They're not going anywhere. It seems like there's no way to appease them. What do you do? Well, look, you know, you have to look at all your different options. I would tell you, if I if I were somebody who would be considering uh, being speaker right now, um, I I would be playing hard to get um, uh, with these folks. Uh, there's not an obvious choice here. Um, I think you know Steve Scalise, Tom Emmer, some of the names, Jim Jordan, but there's no obvious choice here. The same way that even though McCarthy was the obvious choice because of his history, um, everyone knew the problems going in. I think you got to play hard to get. Um, and I think there's a lot of moderate Republicans um, who are in seats where Biden won their districts who may be sitting here this morning thinking to themselves, you know, what kind of deal can we make um, to try to uh, uh, be counterweights to the, you know, eight who uh, voted to kick McCarthy out yesterday? The Republican Party today just can't govern. Nancy Pelosi with a five-mole majority, she was able to govern. The Democrats have become the party of discipline, and the Republicans have become the party that lacks discipline. We're going to get that Taylor Swift question answered very soon. Michael Steele. Yes. I, I've said this from the very beginning. <laughs> uh, this is what Ari Fleischer said, which is everybody's like, oh, he only has a five-vote majority. How in the world? He can't even make scrambled eggs and toast with a five-vote majority. He can't even walk his dog. He can't take... The, he can't, like, all these things he can't do because he's got a five-vote majority. Nancy Pelosi won seven NBA championships in a row. She scaled, she scaled Everest. She, she threw out the first pitch of, of, of like, the 2022 World Series, and it was so good they then had her pitch the entire complete game. Game seven. We'll five vote majority. That's it. And by the way, you know how you knew something was going to pass? When Nancy put it on the floor. If Nancy put it that's on the it. floor. That's and that's what I said yesterday. Yep. I'm going to make this harder than it is. Politics comes down down to people. And it comes down it comes down to, to, to personalities and building relationships. Yep. And it comes down to planning. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. It, like, what idiot would ever put a vote on the floor that they knew they were going to lose? <laughs> Kevin McCarthy? Well, unless they really wanted to make a stupid point, and that's when you would do something like that. The, 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 this, Ari's right um, in that in order to govern, you got to have a governing philosophy. You've got to have a purpose, a reason uh, to move the country from where it is to some place you think is better. And you have to be able to express that openly and honestly with voters um, and be able to do the politics, which is what you're talking about, which is what Nancy did. Nancy knew where her votes were. She knew where they weren't. And she knew how much of what she didn't have she needed to get. And by the way, it wasn't go. always easy with her. You no, it wasn't easy. No. When the squad came on and they no. were saying, we're the real progressives. Exactly. And you're not the but she shut, but the thing, the Joe, but she shut it down. Yes. She, she controlled she, it. She yes. did. Remember when they were saying green, you know, are you going to support the green, whatever it was, the green yeah. new deal? She goes, what? What's it? What what's green, new, green deal? new deal? What? I don't. She didn't allow herself to be pushed in the corner. She also didn't say bad things about members of her caucus. 
They, they worked it out behind closed doors. And, that's, and she that's the delivered on what she promised. That's that it. was the other yeah. thing. Is that that's time it. and again you hear of Kevin McCarthy from? I mean, that, why did Nancy Mace, who is not in that group of eight, yeah, what well, I, I she is a, trying to figure that out. She, what's that all about? It seems to be t- entirely personal. Is that well, trust I can thing? What, I can tell you what it's about. I can tell you at the, while, while all that's happening, you, what you, you say it's an, an identity uh, crisis. For, for, like who is Nancy Mace? One day, one day she's truth teller. The next day she's like. Mrs. Gates. Like, what, what, who, 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 how much money she wants to raise? Uh, I don't know. I, I, the profile I've been working on her has been languishing because I've <laughs> been having issues figuring that out. But yeah. again, this, but it's yeah. just part of it is about these personal relationships that you're talking about. A lot of these, some of these people who voted against McCarthy, it's like he just he treated them badly. They they felt as right. as hard done by as Democrats. But I come back to it with Pelosi. The thing that this whole conversation comes back to, which is something we talked about yesterday on the air. One word: strength. You can't lead a fractious caucus if you seem weak. If you give, if you project that you can be pushed around and that you can be had, McCarthy started his tenure by saying basically, Matt Gates is gonna, I'm gonna give my 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 put my Matt Gates put my balls in his pocket for uh, for the rest of the for however long I'm speaker. Nancy Pelosi never projected anything other than strength with anybody who was fractious in her causes. If the moderates well, were, were about to stray, she would lean on them. Right. If the, yeah. with a squad went straight to stray, she leaned on them. And yes, she also was, she worked personal relationships behind the scenes, but out in front, she was like, I will not be pushed around by right. anybody in my caucus. You can't lead that kind of caucus and, if you, if you Michael, look like you're a sitting duck. Right. And Michael, Michael, that's the thing. You First of all, you lead with strength publicly. And you say, I can't do that. And then you go to him and you say, I mean, this is not hard, kids. If you want to get into politics, easiest job I've ever had. You go to him and go, listen, I can't do that. All right. I know you need it. I can't do that. But tell me what else I can do for you. And it may be two or three or four things. Or maybe I'm just I'm beholden to you for for the rest of this session, and I'm going to be working for you around the country, but I can't do what you're asking me to do. It breaks up the conference. It doesn't work, and we got to get this bill on the floor. You give me this vote, and I know it doesn't feel great. I'll go to your district right. if you need me to explain it to you. I'll give you two or three more things. We'll announce an unveiling in your district of something I can get the conference to do, and that's how we can work it. That's how the pros do it. They don't just tell a member, you know, I have your whatever in my pocket or they, they, you don't insult me. It's it's a you're constantly working them. And that's what I don't understand about Kevin McCarthy. You knew this train was coming for months. And, and he just sat there like he was in an Austin Powers movie. <laughs> I, you know, I think part of it was he, he thought that he could avoid some of it. I think he thought that there were probably be more members in the caucus who would have his back uh and to john's point because he failed on those other fronts in terms of building those relationships and and creating but you have whip counts he knew they weren't going to be on you have the whip counts but again it's all about how you come into the game he came in the game wrong he came into the room the wrong way he left. He gave all the power to one or two individuals. Right. So, so what do you, set so what do, you do then? So what do you do then? You start working, not to make a caddy sound too easy, but what you do, if you know you're starting with a disadvantage, you work it to an advantage. And you, you're working 24 hours a day going, okay, what do I do? I know these three people are going to go after me any chance I can get. I need to talk to Hakeem. 
I need to get three or four Democrats to vote president on anything. I'll do a quiet deal with him that my conference will never know about. And then I'm going to work everybody else around those people and turn my adversaries into allies or at least make them neutral. I mean, that's the sort of stuff he could have done. That's what Nancy would have done. It's what Tip O'Neill would have done. Yeah, you build yourself a ring of defense by figuring out what can I give them that they need. And you do it right from the beginning and see if there's a way that you can find some kind of majority that's going to support you when you know that that motion to vacate is going to come, because it is going to come, because Matt Gates had made it clear right from the beginning it was going to come. I mean, I guess the, only, the difference between the squad and this gang of eight is that the majority of that gang of eight uh, are nihilists when it comes to government. They have no interest in making it work, whereas that's not true of the squad. I mean, those they came from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, but they didn't want to blow up the institution of government. They were not interested in government failing because they want to prove to their voters that government doesn't work and shouldn't be funded. Yeah. I think I'm going to make my final comment on this particular thing is I think that was the crux of this entire deal is that a lot of people in D.C. don't want the government to work as a matter of fact they think that the government is the problem and 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 it's very difficult to work with people who don't want to legislate they um they're, they're not interested in it at all and how do you go into politics if you're very the very thing you're trying to do is stop politics from working and when i mean that i don't mean in governing in the overall sense of you have to agree that with policy positions what i mean is you go into government net without realizing that the other side gets a vote that your enemy gets a vote as well and what i mean enemy i mean the person on the other side of the aisle and what i also mean in the interim is even people inside of your caucus who disagree with you you guys are going to have to eventually put something on the floor you're eventually going to have to legislate something and you can't go into politics in in, a, in even in your own party and thinking that your policy positions are the only ones that are important and that your constituents are the only ones you have to be concerned about because when you have go in with that type of attitude you are screaming screaming and begging that nothing gets done and i'm not convinced as of late that the nothing getting done for the average american is uh working for them when nothing gets done when business as usual is is the normal uh, stew that we eat, we all end up with a government that we do not like. And I think that that is the crux of it, that people have realized that in order to get into power, all you have to do is give a bunch of fancy speeches and not deliver. And I think that that's what you have with the Chaos Caucus as um, – I think is what I see them as as a pejorative. They don't really want to govern, but they want to have jobs in government. The Jerome McLean Show, of course, now, as I have uh, announced a few episodes ago, has a voicemail. We are proud 
to uh, be able to have one. And I am very encouraged that we do have people who have been leaving uh, some questions, comments, and concerns, especially if they are regulars. I do not uh, actually care if you uh, if the same people are leaving questions. I don't care if a person has a question a day. Uh, the voicemail is there. It is for all to use as many times as they see fit. And this can also be something that you uh, use if you see fit. You can do so at the amazing, amazing, easy number to remember, which is 757-310-7303. is the voicemail for the Darrell McLean Show. And let's see what voicemails we have today. Hi, Dionne. I had a question, or not a question, I had something that I wanted to urge to the people in masses. Um, basically, that we are in the end times, and the lack of people who believe in God and follow Jesus are slim, and people don't realize that the end times are near, and that we need to turn to God and turn to Jesus, and that they need to pay attention to the things that are happening in the world right now. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to urge people to pick up their Bibles, pick up their words of God, pick up, you know, their belief in, in love in Him and turn to Him before it's too late. Hey, hi, Carol. Um, I've been hearing, seeing, reading a lot of um, headlines that uh, indicate that uh, former President Trump um, has made threats to this uh, judge or this jury or this process, just wondering um, what can legally be done uh, and what consequences there are. And I guess most importantly, why haven't there been any real substantial consequences that would cause him to cease and desist? Thanks. Really enjoy your podcast. So there we have it. We have two great comments. Uh, uh, one comment and I should say one question. So I'm going to deal with them in reverse order. So the one question that about, let's say, uh, the Trump's statements and about the judge that I have heard, one statement about actually one of the staffers for the judge, one of the clerks, as well as the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney, if, uh, all comments which uh, President Trump has made. Now, here's just some speculation. There is a reason why that these judges are giving uh, President, former President Donald Trump a lot of leeway. Uh, most of it has to do with the fact that they don't want to be seen as more partisan than he is already trying to make it. Secondly, it, it is because it is a, a very bad precedent that they already have felt like they that they are going to have to step in with having to try a former president 
and possibly jail one. So I do think that what they are going to be trying to wrestle with is if they are going to jail a former United States of American president, they're going to do it once. And it's going to be for a time to where they don't want it to be a spectacle. When it comes to the civil case, Donald Trump is stepped into a big big problem so one donald trump was blasting the judge regularly as a democratic donor etc etc i'd like to point out to the to to uh just for the facts that donald trump himself was a democratic donor for a long time so that says basically nothing about what you end up becoming correct but he was laboring under the assumption that he was going to be in that civil case getting a trial by jury. He has come to find out this week that because his lawyer did not do the proper uh, filling out of the paperwork, didn't check the right boxes, it turns out that he is going to be judged by the judge. So Donald Trump has done something that I don't think any uh, defense attorney would tell you to do which is to be on tv criticizing the judge who is going to be the sole decider in the case this particular judge in the civil case in new york as well has also had to rule in a donald trump case before and ruled against donald trump so there is a personal history there as well now when it comes to the staffers as of yesterday the judge did in that case do a what is called a gag order on the president so the president of the united states is not allowed to make threats etc etc comments about the judge the clerks etc in that case when it comes to the federal and more serious cases there is technically a perimeter that has already been set on him that he cannot make certain statements cannot make threats cannot tamper with witnesses and things of that nature and that is the most important case and i think in that aspect as well and that's with the prosecutor being jack smith in that one that the judge is trying her best to give him a certain amount of leeway because of the very historic nature of that type of case and when you deal with the fact that you're trying to gag a witness who's also running for president and it has already been ruled that politicians are allowed to lie it is really they're trying not to merge and fuse these things a presidential run with a federal prosecution case that is coming up in the state district of Washington or in the judicial uh, district of Washington being that Washington DC is not a state even though it should be now and and so I I think that with with that one judge in DC um, already has also made some very uh, statements that shows that she is not a Trump fan. So I think with that being considered, she tries to give him a little bit of leeway on what she allows him to say, because at the end of the day, she's going to make a ruling for or against him. And she has already made several rulings upon a lot of those January 6th, uh, plaintiffs. And, um, 
are and she has uh been ruling very heavy against the people that have come to her court that were involved in the January 6th uh, matter. So I think that they, even though it seems like Donald Trump gets a lot more leeway than you or I would have gotten, I think it is maybe wise to just kind of let him uh, say whatever he's going to say and ignore him. And when he gets to court, uh, give him the fairest trial that he has deserved under the Constitution of the United States. And if he is found to be guilty, judge him as such. Now, the the comment that I got about uh, the end times coming and reading your Bible and uh, so on and so forth from the one caller, I will say that I think that we are in agreement uh, and maybe, but maybe for very different reasons. From my ontological and theological perspective, ever since the death of Jesus Christ, we have been living in the last days. Now, that is ontologically, uh, Jesus' uh, coming was the fulfillment of a prophecy. And the death was also the fulfillment of the prophecy. And once the death happened and the resurrection, then after we became living in the last days until the return and then the thousand year millennial reign, which will come after that. I also think it's very important to be studying and reading and paying attention to the signs. I think it's important to study without ceasing. There is a famous uh, verse that says, My people perish for the lack of knowledge. And I think that that is a verse that was as true yesterday as it is for today. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. So I think anytime you are studying on the things that need to be studied and anytime you are paying attention lest I say the word being woke you are going in the right direction thank you so much so much for the question and thank you so much for the comment and we will do our very very best to keep bringing you the best product that we can bring, including including uh, getting on and sometimes doing some live videos so we can see and talk to each other. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com and getting a membership for as little as $3 a month. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash The Darrell McLean Show.
The Jerome McLean Show is fully listener-supported, independent media that won't lead you to tribalism. Get a membership and support independent media at www.patreon.com slash The Jerome McLean Show.